Hello, hello, and welcome to Roleplay Chat. I am Matt, a game master who cannot stop talking about role-playing games. Today's episode is the continuation of my conversation with the one and only Seth Skorkowski. Me and Seth talked about game mastering philosophies, among other things, and that's going to be kind of the continuation here. This episode is going to focus on game mastering philosophies, and I also kind of asked Seth a kind of a series of random other questions about his questions about his YouTube channel, which you should go check out, uh, where he gives all kinds of fantastic advice and reviews on uh, tabletop RPG adventures. Uh, I also talked to him a little bit about being an author and how that bleeds into being a game master, stuff like that. I should mention that I did my best when I was editing this conversation to split it in a kind of in a space where it made sense. But despite my best efforts, I still would recommend to you to go back and listen to the first part of the conversation first, if you haven't done that already. The conversation does kind of evolve and relies a little bit on the content that was said first. I, I like I said, I did my best to split it so that they could still be listened to independently, but I'd be kidding myself if I didn't tell you that the best experience you could receive is by listening to them sequentially. So that, that's that's my little caveat, but feel free to go on ahead if, if you want to. All right, that's it for me from the future. Let's go back to the conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Are there any new kind of philosophies or, or, or new developments in, in your in recent games or in recent things that you've been running that you're like, you know what, this is something that maybe I want to integrate more often or, or, or kind of like a, a new spark that's that's happened in, in recent games for you, Seth? Um big ones, no. I've I've had certain things where I've 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 tried things and uh I've been rehoning them. I see, um, yeah. One of the big ones, and like you know, by by new, like we're gonna have to like rewind a couple of years for it to like be something that I really actively put um, a lot of thought in is when we come across the concepts of failing forward. Just because you failed a skill check does not mean the worst possible result of failure happens. Sometimes it means you passed, but at a cost. You know, you you tried to jump across the chasm, you rolled a fail it. Okay, you caught the edge. And now I'm going to need like a strength check or somebody's going to have to help you up. Or uh, you got it, but your pistol fell out of its holster and your pistol fell in the lava below. Where it's it's success at a cost or an inconvenience truth. And I'm cool with that. I like that. It's great. But I've encountered a lot of people and a lot of games that then pull that to this extreme <laughs> Where I, I think it actually has has removed the the risk entirely from it. Where it's not uh, you jump across the chasm, but now you're hanging off on the edge. It's also and there is no way you will ever fall, ever. You, you are actually in no peril at all. There was a a, a recent adventure that I had run, where uh, the uh, characters it's it's in a war. They're trying to sneak through an occupied town, and there's enemies everywhere and they're, they're having to make stealth checks and and the adventure even says like if they fail it nothing happens except for like uh, uh one of the residents in this town like the the curtain moves and it should kind of give them a, a, a scare but it's like but that is it but <laughs> for the player's point of view they're trying to avoid nazis uh that have guns and you know try, and i'm like wait so there is actually no threat throughout this mm. 
for the majority of the adventure, there's literally nothing bad that can happen to them, even though we're making rolls, but the consequences for failing a roll is a ooh, close call, and and that's it. Um, and I've, I've encountered some others, and part of the problem that I, I have with that is, as I mentioned before, uh, the, the reward, the feeling of satisfaction. Once your players figure out that there's not really any threat, their enjoyment drops through the floor. Mm-hmm. Or it, once they actually have one where they felt that there was real threat, their enjoyment spikes. And that was actually the biggest reason o- overall why I, I did end up leaving 5th edition D&D was the realization that I think dying in that game is kind of an accomplishment. It is. It really is. <laughs> you know, people are like, oh, I died. Like, really how How? Uh, (laughs) but then i found games where like where where failure even light failure is uh impossible throughout one uh, it was it's a game called dystopia rising they have a quick start Mm -hmm. book called uh, the steel pier and yeah the characters are trying to get into a um a casino and there's a bouncer at the door of the casino and the bouncer isn't going to let them in and they have to charm the bouncer. And there's like the three tiers of success, which I've, I've done powered by the apocalypse and other games. I understand the three tiers of success, you know, total success, success with consequence, total failure. Every single one of those, the bouncer still lets them in and, and total failure is once they go in and they do what they need to do, the bouncer will grab them and throw them out and take away any winnings they might've had along the way. But, they still made it in. And I think about how many games I've had that had an amazing story that ended up being the bouncer wouldn't let us in. So now we are all wearing these ridiculous costumes and we're climbing in through the third floor of the building next to it and then we're tightrope walking across and it becomes this elaborate adventure just trying to get in. That happened because of a failure. And most of my tabletop war stories that I talk about involve the story of this began with a simple skill roll that failed. And, and I think games that try to handhold you too much to where there isn't failure anymore, not only reduce that satisfaction of when you do succeed, they also reduce all of the wonderful stories that, that, that happen, those amazing memories um, yeah. where, where failure was involved. Because for us, most of the stories that involved it I can't even tell you what the adventure was around it, but I can tell you about that one time I had a barbarian try to destroy a magic shield and it took two hours of the game. And (laughs) it had all these in-world effects, but I can't tell you what the hell we did after that because that was just, that worked according to plan. That doesn't work memorably, but the failure was was the best memories and where we laughed. So I, I think one of my philosophies is, yes, I do believe in the failing forward or failure with consequences, but I have had to really evaluate where that line is because I have seen it too far uh, in, in both directions. Yeah, yeah. And too much of anything is never good. And I'm happy you talk about this because this is a lesson that I, I've always considered myself personally to be a game master that is, is light. Like, you know, the games I play are lighthearted very um very scooby-doo very avatar the last airbender in in kind of their uh, you know comedic comedic pacing or or things like this but it's it's like you're saying the memories are what we're playing this game for the fun moments and even in a light-hearted space you need to have the you need to have a risk you know if there's no risk players will will 
catch on to the fact that, hey, we can't really screw this up. And just recently, in in the game that I ran last Friday, oh boy, did they did they screw up? Um, <laughs> they they just botched it. They they were doing this whole stealth mission, and one of the players got caught by a guard, and he thought he had him. He thought he could just t- pull out his gun and shoot him in a quiet part of the part of the manor. But there's a failure mechanic where if you if you roll a critical failure, we're playing in the fate core system, and we kind of homebrew that if you have a critical failure on any kind of gun shoot attack, the gun blows up in your face, like it like it it, <laughs> it clogs and it blows up in your face. So this happened, it sounded the alarm, and they completely failed. You know their mission was to go in and obtain an artifact they didn't get it one of the players almost died and this was all through even me trying to pull some punches a little bit and it's still just they kiboshed it and i i know we're going to keep talking about it because of crappy rolls and poor decisions on the player's part but you know what that's what makes the fun that's what makes the memories and you look back at that Um, there's a It was a thing I'd seen recently, and I think I screenshotted it for some future video. I just don't remember where it is, but it was basically talking about the the three levels or different types of fun. Of you know, there's 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 fun that's fun in the moment, and then there's mm. uh, fun that's you know uh, fun in the moment and makes a good story later on, and then there's like stuff that wasn't fun in the moment and makes a great story later on. And then kind of the fourth is it wasn't fun. It doesn't even make a great story because we've had games where it just, it went miserably. And, and even the mm. stories about it, we might laugh about, but it's like, I don't want to ever repeat that. Uh, you know, I once stuck too hard to the, the rules on a fumble roll where a, a character, uh, they, he wanted to practice a shotgun because he wanted to get rid of the penalty of I've never fired one before. It's a minus three. If you never have after he has, you know, it's just no minus. He just has no pluses. And uh, he fumbled it. We we rolled the fumble as he hit yourself, rolled where he hit yourself, hit himself in the head. So from everybody's point of view, that we're at this roadside inn, uh, going to go to the Call of Cthulhu adventure. And uh, was it Call of Cthulhu system? But uh, then this one guy, he, he gets a couple Coke bottles, goes out back. He's going to practice his 12 gauge. But from their point of view, he just eats a shotgun and dies. And yeah. at w- w- one, oh one fumble, there was nothing. <laughs> and like, like I didn't even roll. I'm just kind of watching this. And I'm like, I should have stepped in hmm. to to like, okay, we're not going that far. Now, you have lost the shotgun. And you might have hurt yourself, but we're not going to go to this extreme where where that just where that was even possible. And we laugh about it now, but it not in that the ha ha. It's kind of the like, oh, I remember that time we did something really you know, the the dice screwed up and then I as the GM stuck too hard to this is what the the, the rules are. Um because I don't have a problem uh I don't have a problem with a with a character dying. I, I don't. But there's also stupid pointless deaths that I, I do. You know, if yeah. if if they fought the monster and they fought the good fight and it didn't work out, hey, that happens. But I'm also not going to ambush them. You know, I'm not going to have the sniper announce there's a sniper by blowing a character's head off and they had no idea they were there. I'm at least going to give them a warning Absolutely. <laughs> that Absolutely. this is coming. Um, <laughs> you know, because uh, so, I've seen games where it's like, oh yeah, the sniper if they've got it, they'll they've got the drop and they've got all this. It's like. Well, someone's gonna die. I, could you imagine being that player? Like, how would you not yeah. be pissed? 
Uh, he'd, he'd feel pretty unfair. It'd be pretty unfair. Absolutely. It, even if you're like, well, it's realistic. Like, I'm not here to be realistic, man. I'm here to <laughs> jump yeah, out of a yeah. car with an Uzi in each hand. I mean, just uh, if you, you kind of have to weigh, like, where is where is the fun, even in risk, of like, okay, you fumbled your 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 gun, you know, script. You blew your head off. Or you blew your blew your hand off or something like. Okay, okay, let's let's keep this going because I don't want some, like a single bad fumble mm-hmm. to do that, and and that actually is. A process that I think you have to learn the hard way through a lot of reflection on where I messed up, um, yeah. and or having to defend yourself because there's certain times later a player will get onto you and you can still stick to your guns. Like, no, I did the right thing. It, it, you know, it it was a bad situation. And there's other times you have to go, yeah, yeah, I I shouldn't have, you know, followed exactly what the book says or I shouldn't have done that. Uh, and that was a lesson learned at the cost of <laughs> character or something. Yeah, uh, something. Uh, I, 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 I really believe that, that GMing is uh, more about lessons that you learned through don't do that again versus your beautiful ideals <laughs> you have when you're sitting there going, I'm going to be a GM and I'm going to be the best ever. Like, okay, that's only worked so far. The real lessons are when you screw up. Oh, yeah. You've got to make a lot of mistakes. <laughs> I, I've told this story, I think, once before, and it's it's about dice fudging, you know, it, and I agree with you, I couldn't agree with you more, that sometimes the rules as written just need to be interpreted in a different way, or need to be, need to be blurred a little bit for certain situations. This was actually the first time I had ever game mastered. It was D&D, 4th edition, we were playing with my now wife, and her sister and and a buddy who was living in the like rooming house that we were in and oh my god it was the biggest slog of a fight where they were just fighting wolves in the rain that was you know four hours of fighting wolves in the rain because we didn't know what we were doing and i didn't know any better to like make the wolves run away or i let them hit the wolves when they maybe shouldn't have things like this and yeah that was my lesson learned of sometimes the dice don't have to be taken at the face value of what they're telling you. Um, so yeah, make mistakes. Look back on these situations, like you're saying, Seth, where you laugh at them because of how miserable they were and not because of how fun they were. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yes, 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 yes. Uh, you talked a little bit about systems too, uh, how different systems enable you to challenge yourself in different ways. Is there any system that stands out to you as being uh, critical in the development of your of your game mastering uh, philosophy, you know, there's there's yeah, you know, there's a lot. Um, uh, most of the the first ones uh, were critical, and I don't think it's because that game is critical. I think it's just because it hit me at that right time. Because when I, I came from D anD D, which was basic through three point five. And then we went back to our first and second edition hybrid because it was a lot better than that. So we played like three, 3.5. And then I was like, oh, screw this. And we went back to what I was really, really masterful at. And then we went to Cyberpunk when I got, I hit my, my yeah. burnout. I don't think it was necessarily that that game was the greatest game ever, but it was the perfect game at that time. I was, I was ready awesome. for it because I had played it before, but I had never played it with the mindset of this is about to be my primary game then uh, call of cthulhu for us was another one and, and and similar thing if we had tried different things 
Um, as many of them were, were way overcomplicated. And then you find this very simple, elegant thing that can do what you'd been trying to do and force other things to do. All of a sudden it was like this, oh, well, crap. You know, like you realize it was that easy the whole time. But the, you know, there's 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 been others that have changed it. Like uh, recently, we started playing uh, Cult in uh, in the past year, and that is uh, that uses a, a version of Powered by the Apocalypse, which is nice. Yeah, you know, most of my players fall into the category of uh, strategic players. They do approach games very strategically. It's great. I do too. Uh, we work well together. We do have to bring in heavier role players to like wash that out in, in our group and figure out our balance because I think there, there really should be that mixture of that strategic player and the heavy role player. And if you go too far one way or the other, you actually, it begins lessening. And we, we, uh, we're all very strategic players and we're playing a game that is pure role play. GM doesn't even roll dice. It's just all about oh interpreting gosh, really? the dice. Oh my God, it's a cool system. But I had yeah. to relearn how to game. And whenever they were getting frustrated, and they're like, I don't think it's the system. I kept saying, I don't think it's the system, guys. I think it's us. I think we are old dogs, and we are learning. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Uh, well, it's called Cult, you said? Well, this this the mechanic is called Powered by the Apocalypse. Yeah, um, yeah. I've played a few of the Powered by Apocalypse And And cult, is, cult uses it. And every game it uses, it has kind of a different spin and its own little rules. But uh, GM doesn't roll dice. Uh, it's just the players. And we can do an entire combat with a dice roll and it, it ends up becoming like the GM interpreting it and weaving a story. And, and that's when I started realizing certain ways to narrate a combat to where we're not going to focus as much on the dice. And I think shortly after that, I did like a, a video talking about combats and I kind of ended it with this like, narrate it like give an end around story of like you know everybody kind of goes through the mechanics we do this as fast as possible and the gm's like okay let me tell you what happened and at this point you know tom knows he lost five hit points you know eric knows that you know he he fumbled and dropped his sword but now the gm's like okay so you know so-and-so hits the monster and blood flew up in so-and-so's face and that's why they missed it wasn't because he got a bad die roll and you know and this and this 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 happens end around next and a lot of people were very blown away. Well, we got that because that's how you play cult. And when we figured that out, it was this kind of mind-blowing <laughs> experience for us <laughs> of like, holy crap, this is this is cool. But to come from players who are usually very, very tactical in how they, they approach a situation to something that is just so loosey, narrative-focused, it's all up to interpretations. How'd you uh, convince them to play it? <laughs> um, so at first, I think we, we did it with like a couple one shots. And that was okay. mostly because I said, I need this to learn how to. Because I did want to run a campaign, but I wasn't willing to start a campaign till I even knew how the hell we would do this. And I wanted them to at least experience it, see how much we liked it. Because if it, if it sucked, I wasn't going to try to commit us to a side campaign. And uh, so I had one player, he was, he had, no matter how much I told him, this is something that interests me. He thought I just wanted to do it for like, like a review. I'm like, no, dude, this is something that really, really interests me. I want to, um, mm -hmm. and, but it's such, it's a type of game that that's not even our full group that plays it because there's certain ones that, it's a dark, 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 dark game. Whatever you're imagining is the darkest game ever. Make it darker. 
okay. very adult, mature audience only. D- very difficult to recommend to people. But if if you're the right audience for it, it's amazing. But it is a very intense uh, role play experience for us. Meanwhile, when we play Call of Cthulhu, I mean, geez, we're we're laughing our butts off the whole time. Uh, <laughs> You know, we'll we'll get into like very serious and very into it, but then it like we'll pull back out. We go back to just yeah. uh, cutting up. Um, but with that game, it it doesn't it doesn't do that. It stays there and just it goes into varying shades of darkness. <laughs> just yeah, you know. it just festers in it. Ooh. Yeah, uh, yeah, that could be tough. Wonderful game, but definitely not for everybody. But but that really <laughs> did change. Good how we approached you with fifth edition, which has the, the inspiration mechanic. I have ripped that off and I've used that in almost every game I've played since. So almost every game I've played since 2015, if it doesn't have an inspiration mechanic worked into it, I brought one cult included where if the player does something really clever, they do some great role play or a great idea or something that just impresses me, something that I want to encourage. Here's, here's your inspiration you get to have a bonus die with us later on or pass that to somebody else. And, you know, that's just been a mechanic we've now used for what, seven years. And, you know, I stole it. Just just use it and everything. And the only time, only games we haven't used it already had some variant of that built in and it wasn't necessary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's, yeah, it is a fantastic mechanic. It's, yeah, it's great. It's, and it, it almost enables you, like you're saying, to reward the behaviors or the, not the behavior, but to, to reward the actions at the table that you feel benefit the the narrative or benefit the table the be- the most, you know? it. A lot of these games, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go back to Fate Core again. You get Fate Points when you play your character. You can you can compel people to play their character by giving them Fate Points. So you, you've got these aspects in your character. I'm not sure, Seth, if you ever played uh, the Fate system. My, my, my buddy Matt, who... Uh... I think I think it took him longer to like get out of the the grip of D and D's the best ever. Uh, has found the Church of Fate, and he prophesizes mm-hmm. to me every time I see. Which is weird. He's the guy that introduced me to Cyberpunk, and then he, <laughs> <laughs> and then he went right back to uh, to uh, to play just one game. But but when he found Fate a few years ago, like every time we talk, he will work that into every conversation as awkwardly and as often as possible. Yeah, like. <laughs> We might not even be talking about gaming. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're. That's funny. <laughs> well, then I won't. I won't uh, talk your ear off about something that you've already get pestered about uh, at your table. But, um, but yeah, I guess to, to to sum that up, different systems have different strengths, and I think the listeners ought to uh, explore those to challenge their game mastering styles or steal ideas from one system for the other. Um, I'm I'm looking at the clock, Seth, and I think we've talked a lot about GM philosophies. Uh, before I turn over to some other questions, because I, I can't have you here and not ask you some questions that are, you know, about your YouTube channel, about your books and things like that. So before I before I cycle over to some some of that, did you have any uh, you know, p- parting wisdom on this topic? Th- things that you feel like you wanted to say and you didn't get a chance to say. You know, basically, the, I think the most important thing, uh, just kind of going back to, to fun, is no one that's not at your table can tell you if you're doing it wrong. You know, whether it's 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 me or some huge YouTube star. It could be the author of the game you're playing. It doesn't matter. 
if if you and everyone at your player your table is having a great and fantastic time then you're doing it right and if you hear somebody say that the way you're doing it is wrong then ignore them <laughs> even if it was me because all that matters is that that you have fun and i think a lot of people especially newer gamers believe that they have to do it this specific way that they were told and once it, it loses sight of the foundation and if you want to play it maybe not the way the rules say or whatever or, or follow some way that's not in vogue that everybody talks about is the best way of doing it if you and your players are having fun then you're doing it right and that's literally the only thing that actually matters everything after that is just little details but mm-hmm. if, if you're having fun you're done the have have at it i i like to everything that i say i try to help enhance the fun or find a cause why you're not but if you are having fun then you're doing it right keep at it yeah preach on that's that's absolutely i couldn't agree more um, and i don't have anything to add because it was said so well so thank you seth for for reading my mind fun is the number one for sure um so with uh, GM philosophies all talked about, I, I did want to, some rapid fire questions for you, Seth, and I, I don't want to put you on the spot. Oh man, this is, this is where I always say something stupid. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> um, so the first question that I've had, and I hope you haven't already answered this somewhere else, maybe you probably have, um, but w- tell me what inspired you to create your little table of players in all your YouTube videos. Is that is that your game? Is that uh, what you thought would be funny? Like where where do these characters, these these per, these people come from? The, the personas that you put on. Okay, um, they were born out of necessity uh, originally. So uh, the the first one was Todd. He didn't even have a name for like the first year. None of them had a name for like over a year. Uh, it, it was I was doing a video where I t- was talking about. Um, uh, a type of player that we refer to as the 13th warrior that refuses to get involved in whatever the game's theme is. And there was a joke that my players and I actually have shared for 20 years about uh, essentially um, the author Michael Crichton trying to talk his players into a Viking game and one of them wants to do uh, a play in Arab that defies the theme. So I wanted to basically give this joke in a video. So at the time I had long hair that uh, was just always back in a ponytail. So I sat at the other end of the table. I flipped it in black and white. So it was very obvious to a viewer that this wasn't like this was something separate going on, like a mm-hmm. skit. I, I I put on an old Ramones T-shirt that I had in my closet, put on a baseball cap backwards. And I talked in this kind of a surfer bro voice that I totally blatantly stole from one of my players. That's how he played his character. And I, I did this little interaction that I always did. And I thought it was kind of fun and kind of funny to uh, give a, a, an illustration of a point about that. So it started with this one character um, with long hair and a baseball cap and a Ramones shirt. And after a few videos of using him for various little skits, I needed to have him talk to somebody for whatever the topic was at that time. So I'm like, I need to have two more characters. Uh, so uh, I didn't know what to do. I, I, I like, okay. And I was at a party city and, uh, which is like kind of a little costume party place. And I mean, that's cheap, cheap stuff. And there was a one-time use bandito mustache goatee. 
which is this weird handlebar mustache and this hideous goatee. <laughs> and I bought it and I gave one the mustache and I gave the other the goatee. And I basically nice. came up with some little voices and I thought I would use them once. I should have learned by now because one of them has the worst hair and I hate doing that hair. And I, I realized I was going to do that more than once. I would not have done that hair, but now I'm married to it. And I gave them some little voices. And after a, a while where I kept using them over and over again and people would ask their names, I finally did assign names to them because it took me forever to realize what my viewers have figured out long before me was that they were a thing that I did. I didn't, I didn't know they were a thing I did for a long time. Um, <laughs> But part of it was to illustrate points. And a lot of my skits I do, one, are either just to be funny and break up what I'm talking about, because I might be talking about a dense topic, and it's just to like kind of lighten it up, or to help illustrate what I'm referring to, usually in uh, an overacted, extreme, ludicrous example uh, that's not actually realistic, but kind of gets drives the point home. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah so that's really where they are and they you know they all have their little voices and their their personalities there is a personality but most of their personality is based off what i need them to say off of that situation <laughs> hopefully you don't eventually paint yourself into a corner based on all the things that they've said and have, uh... Uh, well, I mean, like, you know, like I've, I've, I've had them where they've, they've, you know, they might act one way, they might act with differently than the other, but there are weird underlying things of like, you know, one of them is very no nonsense. One of them is clearly a psychopath. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and it's just odd things, odd yeah, traits yeah, they've yeah. picked up. Cool. 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 Awesome. All right. Next, uh, next rapid fire question is about uh, your books. And how how do you find the ga gaming tabletop RPGs and and being an author? How do those two things influence each other, or do they? Um, you know the the the, the being an author and being a, a, a GM are not as similar as a lot of people think they are. Uh, when you're a game master, basically. You, you yes you are writing some sort of story or whatnot but the moment you hand that to your players you are no longer the author of it you are now more of an observer slash uh you know trying to basically keep keep it moving but you're yeah, not like a you're facilitator no, almost <laughs> yeah you're no longer in control you're, you're juggling squids man uh just Oh, squishy and weird but you're, you're juggling them you're just trying to keep your squids in the air sorry I, I used to watch a juggling show they always used an octopus at some point it was always weird but um <laughs> you got your point across it makes it makes a lot of sense <laughs> but with when you're an author you can go back your your characters will have the idea that they need to have at that moment you if if you made a mistake two chapters ago you can edit that the, you know they they will say what you need them to say. They will think what you need them to think. You have absolute control over every aspect during the creation process. Now, trying to get a book sold and everything, that's its own nightmare of, of just hell by itself. But in the process, the creative process of writing a book versus writing a story, there are surface things they have in common, but at their core, they're really not alike at all. So they do pull different creative aspects. Uh, so for me, my you know my you know my my books I, d I have written you know when I did the channel, but the amount of writing that I did like s dropped significantly because of the channel because it stimulates the same parts of my brain. 
that, that, that creativity aspect of where I have total control over, over what I'm doing. And I'm making it for me with the hope that other people find this you know, enjoyable or, or fun. But when I'm doing it for a game, I'm making it for these specific people. And I am basic, basically, I'm trying to do a setup for, because once it starts, I'm back to juggling squids because no matter <laughs> how much prep I do, and I try to get all everything that I can think of as contingencies out of the way, at the end of the day, I'm going to have to be improving it because they are going to come at it sideways um, mm-hmm. or see something I didn't imagine. So it's a different type of fun and it's a different type of creative itch. Does that cool. answer the question? I don't know. I feel like yeah. I just rambled for 10 minutes. No, yeah, that definitely answers it. Um, and I think it, it takes away some of the mist, or not the mist, the, it, it takes away a little bit of that, uh, the preconceived notion that, you know, being an author and being a game master sometimes are not the same, but beneficial to one another, I suppose. Um, I'm, I'm sure it still is a little bit, but... Yeah, I said there's there are similarities, but, yeah. you know, and, and I get people tell me all the time, it's like, well, you know, being a being a GM is like being an author. It's like, you know, as both, I can assure you that they're not. <laughs> And with the, the large, large number of of, of authors and, and who are also gamers that I know, many of them way more successful than I could dream of being, they all attest, no, they're not, you know, they're not that similar. Yeah. <laughs> you know? do, do you ever find something that happens in your game inspires something in a book or in a, in a short story? Or like, do, do, you, do you ever oh, get oh, inspiration yeah. from one? Yeah. Um, so but very often my books don't actually inspire my games, but my games have inspired large portions of my books. Cool. And my novel, Abenus, I have these monsters that look like, they're like insects that have the faces of porcelain dolls and they cry like babies. That was something I improved in a, in a, in a Cthulhu game once. Cool. And it creeped my players out. My entire Black Raven series is set in a game world that I wrote. But nice. he is nothing at all. Like you know, the the players in that were like wandering minstrels. He's a thief in some sort of international thief mafia. Um, <laughs> but the world is the same, and uh, a few little moments might have been inspired uh, by the games. But very rarely are the games inspired by the stories that I write. Cool, awesome. Another question. I get. I'm gonna change gears once again and talk about. Adventure writing. So you've you've got some adventures under your belt, and like you said, you maybe you have some in the oven that you can't fully talk about. But how does that differ from from be, you know writing the scripts for your YouTube shows and, and and writing writing your your stories, your 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 novels? How does how does that sit apart? And and what have you learned from writing these adventures? It, writing game adventures is the one way in which those two worlds really do collide of uh, because uh, writing is yes a massive creative aspect but there's an incredible amount of technical aspect to it to to learn how to write uh, without passive voice and not waste space and how to convey emotions and stuff like that that's actually all very very technical that that an author has to has to learn some people are naturally good at it well some people are naturally good at playing piano but for most of us, it was a, a tremendous amount of practice to learn the, the technical aspect in order to do the art. Um, so when I'm writing a game for my players, I'm writing it for my players. But what my game notes look like is is kind of like madness, man. It's like huge parts are written down. I know them. Other parts are written down, but they're like half sentences. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, there's I, not I there's, that. there's not a logic to it that any other human being on Earth could understand but me. Um, Sometimes for me, including me, like three days later, I'm like, what did I write? What, did, oh, yeah, <laughs> what is I've, going on? I've got ridiculously bad handwriting, so that's also bitten me in the butt. Where I'm like, what the hell? Oh, yeah, if I wrote it, it has to be important, but I have no clue what this says. This just looks like a doodle. Um, and so when you're writing a game for uh, publication, you have to put all that in. But you have to put that in a way that makes sense. And mm. you you have to be able to write a mood. And this is where you start pulling from the technical sides of, of how to write that basically the other part of your brain has learned. Um, and you're you're writing it for um, an audience of one, as, as my, my partner John Hook says. Like this, you're writing this just for the GM. They're the only person that needs to understand what you're saying, but it's critical that they understand it because they can't ask for help. They can't mm-hmm. they can't call you up and ask what you meant. They can't look at their players and ask what they meant. They need to read this yeah. and understand it. So you have to have a technical aspect of it's very clear, but it also conveys the mood and follows a logic that hopefully th- their mind will follow too. So some t- you have to learn how to also write a game in a way that games are written for people that like to read a game mm-hmm. because <laughs> that is not how I write them for myself. And I doubt very many people do write them for yourself under the way that you would professionally write a game because everyone has their own way of doing it. And it kind of works in a scatter diagram of how their mind works. Mm-hmm. So you do have to have a, like a lot of that technical, but then also I'm writing it in a way that any character can do this, not Bob's, character because i know bob i've played for I'm, i know what he likes i know what he'll do here no you're trying to actually kind of make it very general because i don't know what players are going to do it i don't know anything about the group i know nothing if are they experienced are they veterans is this their first time they've ever played in their life i don't know uh so you have to approach it with this notion of i'm talking to an audience of one who i do not know and i know i know nothing about other than they're the one person reading it and of how to have a great time with your friends. I have no idea who they are or how many of them there are or anything about them. Um, so there is a, a, a yeah. an odd sense to it. Um, it is a lot harder than I thought it would be. <laughs> I've, I had, I, at the point when I did my first one, I had written multiple novels. I had worked with multiple editors. I had written and run many, 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 many adventures. And the first time I sat down to write one, it was suddenly like, mother of God, I had no idea. And every one that I've done since then, I have learned. And now I can look back at that first one, uh, which my, my first one I wrote was uh, Mother's Love uh, for Call of Cthulhu. And I've, I've, got, a, I've got a medal. Well, the, the, advent- the collection one. My adventure didn't. My adventure was good enough. It didn't drag them down is how I like to think about it. But... Um, <laughs> Yeah, so I got an Indie Award for that, you know, for at least my part in that. And what I learned later on by working with uh, Chaosium and then working with Mongoose and, and other things, I would love to go back and, and remove mm-hmm. certain le- levels of passive voice that I didn't, you know, that, that are fine and when you're writing fiction. But when you're writing an adventure, you can't do. Or you can do them. I clearly did. But they're so much better if you do it another way. And I, once again, it's still a process. It's like writing. Every book I've written is technically better than the one before it, even if it's not my favorite. Just because 
you know you've you've honed the craft yeah so. yeah yeah cool cool and and speaking of honing the craft you you seem to have reviewed quite a few systems and and adventurers um over the course of the the life of your youtube channel and i'm sure you'll review more uh really very quickly what uh what do you think makes a good module and and what do you look for in a module when or, or an adventure things like this when, when you're reviewing them okay uh when i'm when i'm looking at adventure it's because i'm going to be running it i'm probably going to be running it for my group so will i enjoy running this and will my group enjoy playing it and the gross majority get turned down off of that alone there there are really good ones but i can i could look at it and go so and so won't like this so we we had had a player i guess we haven't lost him permanently but we've we've basically lost him until you know all, all everything with with COVID is done so maybe forever i don't know but he absolutely hates bookkeeping in in his games he hates it because he does this professionally and he wants to escape that sort of thing. And one adventure I've always been intrigued about was uh, it's called Cthulhu Adventure called Beyond the Mountains of Madness. And everything that I read about it is it has an insane amount of bookkeeping because basically you're doing the inventory for an entire Arctic expedition. Like how much food mm. do your dogs need? How how much kerosene should you you bring for your your crew of forty explorers to sustain them for so long? That level. Yeah. And I'm like you know. As long as he's not with us, let's see if we could maybe do this Beyond the Mountains Madness thing. And and I read it, and I'm like, okay, because I knew a guaranteed no was out. And yeah. I think I'm actually going to rule it out because I think it's actually a little bit heavy for even me. Like, okay, I think I think this might not be as much fun to run once I see it. So most adventures are, are they good for me and my specific group? And also certain things about our taste. Long written out campaigns... I very rarely do them, partially because I, I'm looking at it a time commitment. Uh, so if like it's one of those legendary ones that takes like a year to run if you play every week, and mm. I'm, I'm looking at that going, I, am I still going to be in the mood to play this in, in that long? Uh, because as, as much as we play, this will probably take two years. Do, am I, do I want to commit to this for two years? Do I think they... Well, do I think it'll keep their interest for that long? And I usually rule it out just based off of that. So we usually do uh, kind of adventure of the week, shorter adventures where the, the heroes are always finding a new adventure to get into as we, we follow our, our plucky heroes along versus a very long uh, plot. Because I am probably more guilty than them, have the attention span of, okay, I want to try something new. And I can either scrap this campaign and all these characters or next week i get to send the characters off to do this and then this week we're doing that so this week we're in the jungle next week we're in you know antarctica whatever so i i also consider that of how long do i think this will be will it hold my interest that holds but as far as the other things i look for is like ease of use does it make sense Uh, there are a lot of adventures where they do present a really great backstory of why all these events are happening but there's no way that the characters can learn them. It's like just the GM knows it and the characters are reacting to what's going on, but they never know why. And that always irritates me because even when you're watching a movie or you're reading a book, you find out why the bad guy is doing what they're doing or why this event is happening. You know, the the, the audience understands. Well, since my players are the audience, I, I need some way for my players to 
through the course before it's all done, find out why this is going on mm-hmm. versus they're reacting to a bunch of weird stuff. They, they defeat the bad guy or whatever. And then afterwards I have to go, okay, now that it's done, let me tell you why all this was going on. And I tell them this really great story that they never knew. That drives me bats. So I will, mm-hmm. um, first I try to see if I can figure out how to put that in. If there is a way for the characters to figure this out or learn this, sometimes there is, sometimes it's easy, sometimes it's a diary, uh, but other times you can't. And uh, very often I end up ruling it out just based off of that alone, is if the characters have no way to find out why this is going on, I kind of lose interest. Yeah. Yeah, and you don't want it to be a red herring either, right? I mean, for, for like you're saying, if there's no way for them to know other than some like exposition dump at the end of the game, that's not really fun for anybody, including yourself. Yeah, um, and sometimes like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. But it's like, but I want the characters to, to have that. And I want the players to feel a sense of discovery. Mm-hmm. Uh, so even if it's uh, an alien creature's come down, it's doing stuff for alien creature reasons, and there's no way they can talk to it. And, and learn this and all those end up often being the ones where I, I'm like there's no way that they can they can find it out but if it's like a cult leader or something I, I will put someone that the characters can can learn it I might still run it but it is a definite strike against it it's got to be amazing for me to still want to um, because except my players really do care about the plot they really want the plot to make sense and they really want to feel that even if they never discovered why the bad guy was doing what they were doing, that that's because they missed it, not because it wasn't there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because if they don't, and they're like, why was that going on? I say, like, okay, well, you guys, you know, you never did this and, or this, and that would have told you this. And they're like, ah, oh, curses. But they're happy knowing it was there, whether they found it or not. But they don't want to hear... There was no way you could have learned this except for me telling you after it's over. And I think one of the, also the hard lessons that everybody has to learn at some point, no matter what side of the screen they're on, is that the GM is not the enemy. Mm-hmm. You know, the GM, yes, they are putting the obstacles in front of you, but it's not, at least it shouldn't be, to defeat you. It's to challenge you and overcome. It's like a good teacher that challenges you. It's not that that teacher wants to to fail you but they're like but i need to challenge you that's literally why i'm here <laughs> i'd rather yeah, be at home watching netflix uh but yeah, yeah so uh, but a good teacher is challenging they're not they're not there to destroy you um and i think every player at some point has to learn that no matter what's what roles they play of uh, we all have to be fans for each other we have to look out for each other's good times uh because if you don't then the games can fall apart and sometimes there's a lot of finger pointing when we never realize that part of why a game fell apart was our own approach or our own not acknowledging somebody else's needs uh to enjoy it mm-hmm. and look at you seth you're making it go full circle for me you're wrapping the bow i i think anyway you, <laughs> you're bringing it right back to what we were talking about at the beginning is is making sure that the table is on the same page that that the unspoken rules are, are spoken or at least that the philosophies of how you want to run your game to optimize fun for everybody uh, are, are being met and I think that that kind of wraps up I'm, you know I'm looking at the clock it's late I don't want I don't want to keep you too long so I, I before before we you know I conclude today's episode I want to give you another chance to to, to, to say hello to the listeners remind <laughs> them of where they can find you 
of your projects, where they can buy your books, where they can subscribe to your YouTube channel and all of that stuff. Okay. Well, the trick is you just got to know how to spell my giant name. Uh, so <laughs> I'm Seth Skorkowski. Now, thankfully, I'm the only Seth Skorkowski that might have ever lived. Um, so it, once you know how to find that, you can find everything. Uh, but you can find me on YouTube. Uh, once again, I, I'll talk philosophy like this or game reviews or just a tabletop war story or some really stupid video where I race dice down a ramp. Uh, so different, different things like that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've got a, kind of a selection of fiction. Uh, it's available on audiobook and ebook and print of uh, different, different fantasies, different levels of darkness. Uh, Summer Sword and Sorcery, kind of classic short stories, while others are, are longer uh, novels. Uh, Dameron being the first in my Valdigan series is a standalone. So if you if you want to test your toes in that, but you're worried that you might end up committing yourself to all four books, and what if you don't like it? You can just read the first book, and if it if you know, at the end you're done, uh, there isn't a cliffhanger. There isn't a, a necessary. You have to read the second, but if you want to, oh, there's three more. Uh, but I, I'm a big believer in the standalones, even as sequels. That's um, nice. That's nice. Well, it just has to do with certain things that drive me bats is you pick up one book thinking it's one and then you're like, wait, this is this is one third of one giant book. Ah, oh, damn it. And I got to wait a year for the next volume. David Eddings taught me that and I never wanted to do that to anyone else. Um, <laughs> you can also find me on the Modern Mythos podcast uh, with my uh, partner, John Hook, who is a very prolific game writer um, and been doing this a lot longer than me. Or you can follow me on Twitter under S. Skorkowski. I'm usually rambling about whatever movie or show it is I happen to be watching at that time or just some odd, odd joke. So that's that's usually my social media platform. I'm the most uh, uh, just frequent on. Awesome. Yeah. And I definitely want to encourage anybody who's listening. If you haven't heard of Seth, you definitely should go check out his, his videos and go, go check out his, his books. And why not give him a follow on Twitter too? Um, do do all that good stuff because it's definitely a uh, creative worth following. Uh, so thank you, Seth, for being here to talk to me about game mastering philosophies and everything else under the sun. Man, you um, know what? Out of, out of all the interviews I've done, and I've done quite a bit, you're the first one that's actually ever asked me a lot of these questions. So thank you. Uh, normally oh, they <laughs> they don't focus on the the philosophy side. Uh, and we'll end up talking about other aspects, mechanics or, uh, you know, different things, but I actually really enjoyed this one because it's, it's a fun, you know, it's fun to talk philosophy. Um, so thank you. Yeah. My, my pleasure. It's yeah. Ex I love talking about the philosophy of things. I deep dive on just about anything. It's the, what, the, why, the, how, all that. So yes. Um, again, thank you, Seth. Uh, for those of you listening, if you wanted to reach out to me, you can do so by contacting me on Twitter. That's at roll underscore play underscore chat. You can also send me an email if you don't want to be imposed a 250 character limit. You can contact me at contact roleplaychat at gmail.com. And with that, thanks again, Seth. Thank you. Everybody, let's call it a chat.